learned this in 31 plus years of pastoring and evangelizing before that. We don't need a feeling to be enjo to enjoy the presence of the Lord. Some services are just electric. Some you got to grind and grind. We're kind of grinding today. That's all right. I enjoy one just like I do the other. There's only one chance to take advantage of this service, and that's right now. Right now. If I'm going to get something from God, it's right now. If I'm going to catch on to a word, I've got to do it right now. We're not guaranteed Wednesday night. We've got right now. Amen. Brother Joe, come. No place I'd rather be. Um, I actually, I was talking with a buddy of mine recently and uh, just trying to explain to him what our church is about because he was interested in it and that kind of stuff and mentioned a couple different things about, you know, it is a little bit louder. It's maybe a little bit crazier than stuff that he's used to. And he said, it sounds kind of weird. And driving home that day, I just kind of got just something put on my heart when he said that. Um, First Peter 2 verse 9 says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I, I just kept, for some reason, it just started bouncing around in my head. Man, that sounds weird. And uh, I, I just, this verse just kind of got put on my heart, a peculiar people, some weirdos, something that's maybe just a little bit against the norm. And, you know, it doesn't make us peculiar, doesn't make us weird to be sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning. There's actually a lot of people doing that right now. All over this nation, all over this world, there's a bunch of people sitting in a pew listening to some guy talk over a platform. It's not what makes us peculiar. It doesn't make us peculiar because it says Pentecostal outside. In fact, there's quite a few of those churches out there. The way I see it, there are two things that make us a little bit weird, a little bit different. And that's our reaction and our resolve. You see, I could sit there in the pew during a red-hot service and feel nothing. In fact, I've seen a lot of people walk out that door never to come back that did just that. It wasn't weird. wasn't anything different than I've seen a hundred times. You could even be sitting in a service where maybe it's not red hot. Maybe nothing's, nobody's jumping off the walls. You could sit there just like everybody else, check your phone, think about what you're doing after. But when it gets weird is when a reaction from a, a certain individual sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning that says, for some reason, I just can't sit still. You see, something else changes inside of you. When you're surrounded by this energy, you feel a touch of God and... For some reason, you can't just sit there. There's something a little bit different. And somebody from the back, maybe somebody new, sees somebody up at the altar shouting hallelujah, jumping up and down and thinks, man, that's weird. But what they're thinking is, you don't know like I know. I can't just sit here. And yeah, I'm going to be a little bit weird. Maybe I'm going to be a freak. But I tell you what, I can't just sit here not knowing what I know, not going through what I've been through. Because I know where I could be. And for some reason, I'm right here. And I could never be more excited. Yeah, that makes you a little weird, makes you a little peculiar, but it makes you somebody that God's looking for today. And the other thing that I find that's just a little bit weird is resolve. You see, I've seen person after person go through all kinds of hell. I've seen people just absolutely destroyed, families gone, horrible things happen. And something really peculiar is what starts to happen to that person. When you know they haven't gotten their miracle yet, you know what their life is like, but for some reason, instead of complaining, instead of griping, you hear a hallelujah. It'll change something inside you when you see that. You see, it becomes a little bit weird when your coworker comes in. They know what your life has been like. They know that you've been down for the count for a while. They know that there's bills that you haven't been able to pay. They know about that divorce that's going on in your life, about that wayward child. They know all these things, and they randomly decide to come to your church one day, and they see you up front dancing. You see, there's something about the resolve of a peculiar people, a resolve of a people that says, I know that it's not perfect. I know that it hasn't been the best, but I know with, oh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am not alone. You don't understand. I know 
know I'm not shouting. I know I'm not dancing right now when I'm at work. But I tell you what, when I get in the presence of God, I know something's going to change in my life. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. But if you think I'm going to stop shouting, if you think I'm going to stop dancing, you've got another thing coming because I'm a little bit weird, because I'm a little bit of a freak, because I want to get noticed today. God will pass you by and pass you by if you don't have that faith, if you don't have that something inside that somebody else doesn't have. He's looking for a peculiar people. He's looking for the weirdos. He's looking for the ones that just won't shut up, that just won't sit down. People that say, till the day I die, this is who I am. I'm telling you today, if we want to go somewhere, if we want to see that wonderful light at the end of the tunnel, we want to hear that well done, that good and faithful servant, we're going to have to be a little bit weird. We're going to have to be peculiar. And that is exactly who I want to be. So don't worry about it. To all the weirdos and the freaks, God sees you. And, and just a little research into any translation other than the King James, that peculiar is, it means set aside, consecrated. Sure, absolutely. You've come out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so for some of those, some of you that don't know and maybe do care, Sister Maya was when she started dragging them to church, but um, all their lives, I, I just wanted a special place in their heart. And um, when him and John were just little guys, I, I used to tease them. I said, one day you're going to grow up, you're going to marry a beautiful woman, you're going to be a part of the church. And him and John would automatically go, Girls, no way. The rest, Pastor, yes, but girls. <clears throat> Holy Ghost, proud of you, brother. You just, you just keep the faith. God is doing a good work. God is doing a good work. Brother Tostin, come and share a good word with us today. Appreciate Brother Tostin and his family. Precious people, faithful to God. Glory to God. Do we have a Romans uh, four twenty one? Love the word of God. Amen. It says, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Glory to God. This brother touched upon it in your thing, the nature of God. One thing about God, his word is good. His word is, is, is forever. Jeremiah 32, 17, one more scripture. Glory to God. It says, oh, Lord God. Behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and stretched out the arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Well, I want to serve a God like that. Because when I go through the daily routine of my life, <clears throat> I want somebody who's going to have my back. And if there's nothing too hard for God, woo! That means he can't lie. He said, I, I'm unable to perform that what I promised. So what we do with God, don't worry about it, Jimmy. Don't worry about it. I got your back. I got your back at work. Glory to God. I got your back when, you, when the doctor says, oh, I don't know. I got your back when your marital thing, whoa, whatever. I got your back, Jimmy, because there's nothing, nothing. There's nothing too hard for God. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. He's almighty God. You got to go to his name. He, he's a living bread. Mm, he's all powerful. Hallelujah. I always talk about his name, but it's in his name. He's a deliverer. He's that unspeakable gift. Oh, God. Don't that give you chills? Hallelujah. I wasn't here Friday because I had to go to work. I usually be working from home, but they made me come in on Friday. I was blessed because I'm thinking, I ain't got to drive this no more. And it was dead in the office. It's kind of like a ghost town. God got my back. He said, Jimmy, I got you. I got you. I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. He's a wonderful Savior. He's a wonderful Savior. He's a branch of righteousness. He's the headstone of the corner pastor. He's the chief cornerstone. He's at sure foundation. God bless you.
every day, I believe without fail, every morning about 7 a.m., I get a text from that good brother, and it's always, I, I, I hope I'm not hoaxing something, and jinxing something, pardon me, super spiritual people, you won't like me saying that. Sometimes you talk about stuff before it happens, and, you know, the enemy messes up the plan. But every day, as long as I can remember, he sent me a text about 7 a.m. Never one time has he said, I, I need to pick a bone with you, Pastor. I, I got to talk to you about something. I need to, I'm, I take issue with something you said. Every day it's something straight out of the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. That blesses my soul, I'm going to tell you. On the list of priorities of texts I want to respond to, that's way up there. When someone is conscientious about the word of God, first thing in the morning, that tells me a lot about their character. It tells me a lot about their hunger and their ambitions in life. Amen. Brother Steve. Praise the Lord. Well, God is good. Feel him in this house. Psalm 24 and verse 3 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. The Bible said, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is kind of akin to Psalm 15. Um, this here verse here seems to be, 27% of the Bible is prophetic, they say. And this seems to be prophetic to every generation. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but when I read who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place, it kind of makes me straighten up a little bit and say, oh, wait a second. Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? Hallelujah. But the Bible said that he shall receive the blessing from the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good to us. Come on, I'm telling you, I want to receive the blessing from the Lord that the Lord has for me. This tells me if I'm going to seek him, I'm going to receive his blessing. And I want to receive his blessing today. I don't know about you. Appreciate the whole family, all of them. Today, they're such a blessing to this congregation, to this pastor. Way, way, way back, we hadn't been here, Brother DJ, a couple of years, and uh, Brother Pleo won Brother Hull to the Lord, and I can honestly say there's only been a handful of people in all my ministerial life that I recall that when they came into the church, they just literally got to the edge of the board and dove, uh, and that's what this man did, and it's paid great rewards and dividends to him. You may not like something some of these men or women do up here, but don't look in the mirror very long, okay? And the reason we have ministry is for the edifying of the body of Christ. Everybody's unique and has their own way and approach. And every time they offer the good word of the Lord, we're supposed to leave here edified, encouraged, strengthened, better. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Brother Rob, come on up here. Praise the Lord, everybody. Aren't you excited to know who Jesus is? If you are, let's do something about it right now and offer a hand clap of praise because he is worthy. More worthy than all the praise that I even have to give this morning. Hallelujah. In my daily reading, I'm going through Jeremiah right now. For the sake of time, hopefully I don't oversimplify this, but you have Jeremiah, the Lamentations. Jeremiah, he's trying to speak to a people that just won't hear it, and then Lamentations are his Lamentations over them not hearing it. And Jeremiah said, by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. Having a church in my life is great. Having a Bible in my house is great. But if I don't do something about it, if I'm not excited to rub shoulders with like-minded believers, a house of God to shout praises to a God who is worthy, 
And if I'm not thankful, if I don't do something about that Bible that's collecting dust on my mantle, sure, I've made the first step. I've got that Bible. But I better start pouring into it because in it I find life, in it I find strength, and I find truth. You know, the truth is very important. I was talking to the young men here praying before service. A lot of us have been in church either our entire lives or we came into this very young. A lot of us don't remember that eye-opening truth when it first hits us. We didn't, we didn't come from a dark place. So it's easy to get in this and, and just not mishandle his truth and not realize the worth that it carries. But I'm here to say right now, that truth, that's the truth that saves. That is the truth that carries me through. I don't know about you, but I want to show a little excitement over the truth that we've been given over this pulpit and through his word. The Bible says, I believe it's in John 4, 24. If we worship him, it's in spirit and in truth. Yes, that's great to have my heart in it, but I also need to be worshiping him in truth. With I in a place that has a great spirit about it, a great heart about it, a great mind to worship, but boy am I thankful. Where would I be if it wasn't for the truth? The truth that tells me when I pray, I don't have to pray to some board. I don't have to figure out which is the God of the increase, which is the God of the waters. I don't have to figure out any of that. I can worship the one true God, and his name is Jesus. All is in Jesus. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. I don't have to worry about whether my prayers are going to go to one God and they're not going to go to another or they're not going to be relayed. I know that I can pour my heart out to Jesus, the one true God, and I can watch my life change because that is power. I'm thankful for truth. I'm thankful for my church, but all overall, I am thankful for the name of Jesus. Amen. Again, investments being paid off, or investments that are paying off. Uh, how many years ago, Sister Twiley would bring those boys and make them all sit down, and Sister Twyla and Brother Bob had, you know, they just thought, Oh, how do I want to say it? We thought with kindred nature. Because you could tell when one was acting up, Brother Nate, you'd hear pop in the back of the church. And, and like, Appreciate that. Hey, I'm going to get something good from God today. Uh, I, I've got as many problems as you've got, and maybe more. But I'm not going to let the devil take control of what I'm thinking today and just get nothing out of this service. I appreciate everything you brothers are saying. You're ministering to me. Did you know that one of you brought it up that when Jesus said in Luke 6:38, give and it shall be given unto you, do you know that he wasn't even talking about money? Read the previous three and four verses. He's talking about forgiveness and mercy and doing good, judgment, He's not talking about money, and I, I'm not getting on anybody for applying that out of context, but you can't do enough good and give enough of yourself for the work of God. When you give and it shall be given unto you, you sacrifice, you're praying, you're reading, you're fasting. You'll never, ever outgive the Lord, no matter what you do. You'll find out in the end, the Lord always outgives you. Brother West, come. Amen. Good stuff. Amen. This might resonate with somebody here, but have you ever been just doing your daily reading devotion and a scripture just reaches out and grabs you so strongly that it sticks with you the remainder of the week? And you can't help but just keep going back to that chapter and back to that chapter and back to that chapter. Uh, Brother Robbie, that chapter for me this week was Lamentations chapter 3, uh, written by Jeremiah. And the first part of the chapter, he is uh, really lamenting 
the darkness of the world and, and what he has gone through and every pain that he has felt. And just, he, I mean, he's, he's about as negative at this point as you can possibly be. And in verse 20 of Lamentations 3, uh, still speaking about the negative, he says, My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. But there is a shift that happens in verse 21. And he says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. This recall to my mind literally means that he's, he's causing these next set of memories to come back to his heart. It is a purposeful focus, a purposeful and intentful focus on causing these thoughts to come back to his mind. It was not a passing thought or, oh, I just had a thought that God is good. He is going back and reflecting on the goodness of God in his life. And he says, it is of the Lord's mercies Somebody testify with me this morning that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every single morning and great is thy faithfulness. I've got to believe there's a Jeremiah in the heart this morning. Back to my mind this morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Saw that in that scripture, the words mercy and compassion were pluralized. Aren't you glad he's got more than enough mercy? All of my blunders, all of my mistakes, he'll never run out of compassion. I do not believe, contrary to the modern religious world, that we can use God like a puppet. Oops, God, you know me, boys will be boys. Can I pull you out here and get a little of your mercy? God will not be mocked, Paul said. God will not be mocked. But when a man or a woman, a young person or an elder says, God, I blew it again. Would you just please help me? It's mercies, plural. It's compassions, plural. Brother, praise the Lord. So along that theme that I was talking about earlier in 1 John chapter 5, if we go to verse 14, and then I'm going to go to 15, it says, and in this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we will know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. God's here to answer something today. We've talked about God's mercy. We've talked about God's compassion. We've talked about the word of God. This is one of those promises. This is one of those promises in the Bible, and he can't lie. Can't lie. His mercy is forever. His compassion, and he's a giving God. He is a blessing God. If you need answers today, they're here. If you need strength today, it's here. If you need healing today, it's here. All you have to do is call on the name of Jesus, and he is here. Praise the Lord. Dimension of knowing that you know that you know. God is listening. All right. Praise the Lord. Once again, a blessing to be here with you today. We're not done. We're just getting started. All right. So we're going to go ahead and dismiss you this morning. You brothers, please hang around with me up here if you'd like. No pressure, but if you'd like. And I'm going to read Brother Scott or Sister Jen, that, pardon me from the Old Testament letter of 1 Kings 21. 1 Kings. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I will begin reading in verse 1. It came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel hard or next to the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. Naboth and Ahab were cousins. Uh-oh. You know that one member in your family? 
try it over here. You know that one member in everybody's family? <laughs> For Naboth, a man of integrity, to have a cousin the likes of Ahab. And Ahab spake to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it's near to my house, <clears throat> and I will give you thee for it better a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to you, I will give thee the worth of it, the worth of it, say it with me, the worth of it <clears throat> in money. Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid it me. There's some things that are more sacred than just family ambitions. Family ambitions. The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came unto his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. He had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him. I tell you, I, I, I just marvel how some people find each other. Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is, this spirit so, why is thy spirit so sad that you eat no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, I said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I'll do a swap with you. I'll give you another vineyard. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Jump down to verse 17, please. 1 Kings 21. And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise and go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he is gone down to possess it. 1 Kings 21, 17. Brother, if you can catch up to us there. And then I'll go all the way through 20, please, sir. Elijah said, I was told to say, thus saith the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, thus saith the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, hast thou found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself. You have sold yourself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Very stern story. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy today, your goodness, God of heaven, that is in the house. Wherever your word is, there's the goodness of the Lord. Wherever your spirit is, there's the goodness of the Lord. Speak to our hearts today, God. Help us to do it according to your perfect design, no more and no less. And your desired will, in the name of Jesus, we pray. I won't sell. God bless you. You may be seated today. That's the message that Naboth, the cousin of Ahab, essentially gave him when pressured, when pressured to respond. I am not going to sell. I've asked you this before. I want to stir up your memory a moment today. What is the difference, and do you understand how to apply price versus worth? Cost against value. Something is worth what you pay for it, no matter what someone else sees in it. I understand that. But someone said this, and I think it's a better way to understand the difference. Price is what you pay and value is always what you get. And you might be willing to pay, I might be willing to pay, but value is what we're going to get out of it in the end. Price versus value. Cost 
against worth. There's some things, Brother Joseph, you just can't explain to people why you value it. No matter how hard you try, I want my best friend in the world to understand why I value faithfulness to the house of God, but sometimes it's just words. There's not acceptance. There's not sinking in. There's not a correspondence of giving and receiving. It's all giving. Sometimes you have things in your life to you, they are priceless. Your walk with God should be priceless today. It should not be for sale, or you shouldn't have any area of your life where it can be compromised. If your wife asks you to compromise, not for sale. If your husband says, puts pressure on you to compromise, should not be for sale. Understand here that Ahab is pulling out all the stops. He's trying every angle he can, the family angle. Oh, I'm coming into town Saturday night. Hope we can have a good family day Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I understand. Been there and done that. But just so you know, family, that's coming in randomly on a Saturday night or Wednesday afternoon, that's church night for us. You're welcome to hang out or come with me, but I'm going to church. I, you, say, you say, Pastor, that, that's so shallow of you. Well, let me just tell you what I've learned in a lot of years of living for God. Any open door the devil gets, any grain of sand... Any small pebble or morsel of opportunity he get, he will take it and make it bigger than it needs to be. For some of you that are younger today, you don't see this and you wouldn't even know it existed. But in the 1960s when, when my dad moved here to accept a job on the North Slope, he told me when he went to work on the slope with Vico, uh, Brother Carlos, I know you're not here, but maybe you'll listen to this down the road. said he was making $4 an hour on the slope as a welder. But in the 60s, potato fields were everywhere around this valley. You could see them at the Springer System, on Lazy Mountain, all those fields that you guys pull hay out of today, all were potato fields back in the day. I mean, it was just a bountiful harvest of edible grub at the, at the fall of every year, every, from Big Lake and Four Corners, that big gravel thing they did there across from Three Bears and a little, uh, little strip mall, whatever it is there, that used to be nothing but potato fields, all of that there, lettuce and cabbage and everywhere you turned in the 60s and 70s, there were plots and acres upon acres upon acres of Food being processed and grown. It was everywhere. Farming was all about what this community was. I knew a lot of those kids, a lot of those farmers, the Baileys, the Callisons, the Rebarchecks, the Feasters. I knew the Smiths. I knew all of them. Their dads were all potato farmers and lettuce growers and carrot farmers. Every single year. At the end of the harvest, when they would harvest those number one potatoes, those big giant bakers, they would just put signs out. You could go into those fields, you and I. We wouldn't have to have an appointment. We wouldn't have to show up before anybody else. And you would bring your own gunny sacks, and you could harvest all those number twos and number threes. And I, I would see friends and church members and people I went to school with out there every year just picking those carrots up that, miss, that got missed by the machine or those potatoes, just getting ready for the winter. And one of my best friends in Little League, Alan Feaster, his dad was a potato farmer out in the Butte. And it was like news across the community. Alan Feaster's dad was selling out. He had hundreds of acres of potatoes. Selling out. And I asked Alan one day, what's going on? And he said, well, a developer came through and the money offer was too good. You know, to a kid, that doesn't mean much, but it kind of settles strangely. It's something about the community was changing. Something about, I know you can't stop progress. I, I'm, not, I'm not against that. But there was something unique changing about the community. Something about the landscape and the appearance of it all.
people were looking to other revenue sources for life and retirement. Wasn't going to happen anymore. And like I said, when I asked Alan, what's going on up there? Oh, Dad said the money was just too good to pass up. I'm asking somebody today, is there a difference to you between price and value? Between what you pay and what you get. Between the momentary blessing and the eternal cost. There's no doubt about it. We're going to progress in life. And we're going to go places that God, um, that you and I never knew God would take us. But some things in our life should not be on the block for sale or for auction or up for bid. Some things in your personal walk with God. Pastor, who's doing that in here? I don't, have, I don't know. I'm just telling you what I felt compelled in the last 12 hours to bring to you again. Like what would we put for sale? How about Proverbs 22.1? That a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, hmm? than silver and gold. So reputation is what Solomon's talking about. Some things are worth hanging on to no matter what you give up to keep it. John Wooden. I'm not sure if anybody besides Brother Rick today in the room, and no insult intended, forgive me if you are the exception, but John Wooden who led the University of California, Los Angeles to I think nine consecutive NCAA championships. John Wooden is a legend in college basketball coaching. He's an icon. He's somebody that a lot of people just quote all the time because he had it down. He figured it out. John Wooden said, but reputation is what people think you are. Character is what you really are. But unfortunately, both are on the line at times in life. Not only what you perceive about me, but what I really am in life. Sometimes it's just simple things coming your way, but the devil's working under the surface. The devil's trying to undermine, trying to change the order of things so that we compromise character, which eventually tarnishes reputation. And just like Ahab, the devil wants us to regard price, but look what I'm going to get in the moment over value or worth. People are so busy to even care about value anymore. Everything, and I say everything not meaning what you hold dear to you. When I say everything in general in the world, everything's disposable anymore. Friendships are disposable. If you don't like me, tough. Objects are disposable. I'll just get another one. I mean, it's just, it's just product, a product of what we are today. Everything's disposable. I'm not talking about being a junk hoarder. I'll never forget one of the interruptions I didn't mind. Are you brothers listening? Sisters listening? One of the interruptions I thought wasn't actually uh, fitting. I was preaching about being a hoarder many years ago. And I made some kind of comment about, you know, but it's just all junk. What I consider treasure, another person might consider junk. And Brother Lance blurted out. But <laughs> Exactly. But it's good junk. Beauty's in the eyes of the beholder, right? But let's get serious. Modern churches, this is not an opinion. This is fact are changing or remaking the religious landscape. It's based solely and entirely upon entertainment. It's wildly popular among the now generation. I'm quoting somebody here that knows what they're talking about. And he goes on to say, people that know so little about God or the scripture are pressuring what we view as the reputable church that has stood and towed the line for centuries. But in this particular generation, it's being pressured to fold, to change, to be disrespectful and undisciplined concerning biblical principles, unquote. They want acceptance, social acceptance, and more entertainment. Somebody say hello. They want social acceptance 
and more entertainment. They actually argue, I'm reading from the, from the article, that the gospel must be repackaged to make it attractive and marketable. Unquote. There's nothing wrong with big. I believe God wants every church to be busting at the seams. Every truth preaching, honor bearing, gospel declaring church to be busting at the seams. It's the will of God. It is not the will of God for empty seats to be in any truth preaching church. Not the will of God. Never has been the will of God, never will be the will of God. You want to talk about maturity in the gospel. Talk about Jeremiah a while. He would be about as welcome as COVID-19 if he stood in this pulpit today. Because he's not a positive man. He don't bring messages of flower and goodness. He weeps and cries and laments and bemoans. And he threatens and and he throws out accusations. He would be a thorn in the side of Modern ambitions to make the church more marketable. (laughs) Nothing wrong with being big as long as we don't compromise methods to accomplish growth. Hear what I said? Nothing wrong with being big as the will of God as long as we don't compromise integrity and reputation to grow. If the gospel can't grow it, it can't be done. If preaching the word doesn't grow it, it's not supposed to happen. If standing for truth doesn't grow the church and fill the seats, it's never going to occur. In fact, in Matthew 16, 24, sis, Jesus used two words that this generation I'm talking about would want to extract from the, the writ. Deny yourself. Listen, there's no real Christianity without self-denial. It doesn't exist. It's not all about pomp and flair and, and, and feeding the flesh. It's about self-denial before anything else. I, if you don't have a prayer life, it's not my fault. I want you to have one. If you never fast, then don't talk to me about how difficult it is. You've got to, learn, you've got to develop those places in, in your walk with God where reputation is polished and character is developed. Those are the, you don't get that by singing beautifully. Sorry, ladies. I mean, some of you are so skilled, it's amazing. You don't get character and reputation by that. That's developed in a prayer life and Bible study and devotion with God. But you know what they retaliate with, Brother Stacy? And I quote, nobody wants to hear self-denial. I beg to differ because truth of the rub, it does not need deceptive marketing. In fact, 2 Peter 2, verse 3, we don't want feigned words through which men make merchandise of us. 2.19, neither do we want men that promise us liberty while they themselves are the servants of corruption. What makes the gospel really attractive today? Hmm? We've talked about this so often, it's not even funny. What makes the gospel attractive today? What is it? Oh, well, we need a good band. We need a great youth group. And I appreciate your pastoral spirit and feeling. You and your wife are a blessing in that youth group, and I mean that. I mean that. Doesn't mean you, doesn't mean you can't, you know, cease to pray or be devoted to God, but I appreciate that, that covering you, you allow your kids and you protect your young ones with. That's just the way it's supposed to be. But what makes the gospel attractive to people? It does what it says it's going to do. Maybe not in my time frame and how I see it should come to pass. But if God said, I will deliver you, and you're hungry for that, brother, mark it down. Sooner or later, you're going to be delivered. It's going to occur. I I don't know when, where, or why, but the Bible will always do what it said it's going to do. It behooves myself, yourself, us together. To be patient with the will of God. It does what it says it's going to do. It transforms lives. It changes circumstances. 
I sat in Providence Hospital about a year ago with my good friend. Played football with him at Clark. Played baseball in high school with him. And uh, he had some internal bleeding issues going on. And I prayed with him, and I asked him, you know, to make room in his life, and let's get the nurse's attention. Let me baptize him in Jesus' name and pray with him. And he was, he was accepting the fact, at least, that, well, if I haven't done it by now, I'm never going to do it. And he wasn't bedridden, but he was certainly expiring in life. He could get up, though, and move around and hold a, you know, a mature conversation. But anyway, Kenneth Franklin asked me, he said, what, 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 what's going on in life? Why are things so complicated anymore? You think of the older you get and the more you grow, there'd be less complications in life. Why is there always stuff to deal with, fires to put out, confusion to, to, to work through? Why is somebody always upset with me? Why is somebody always walking away from me? Why is always... And I just let him bemoan, lament. And I told him, I said, it just, it's just where we are in society. Everything that we stood for and I don't care what you young people, you young people roll your eyes all you want at, at me, but I know when we were kids, society was much more innocent than it is today. I'm not saying it's because of you or me, it's just the way it was. And I told Ken, I said, it just seemed like everything innocent or, or simple was bartered away. Money became God, fortune and gather and acquire and get. No matter who you have to step on, no matter who you have to do wrong, just get it. You're not part of the cool crowd? Heaven forbid. Some things, Brother Larry, just aren't for sale. And I know these farmers today probably make, I imagine hay's a good business, a good lucrative business. I'm sure it is. But I could tell your kids and grandkids about the days my mom and dad and my brother and I used to get out there and we'd, we'd brag about funny shaped potatoes we found. Look at this guy. This guy's got a little head on it. This guy's got an arm. Just family innocence. Just family innocence. Where are the simple days? They're long gone. Someone said this about genuine friendship, though. You can't make real friends with fake people. And so often we think people are genuine, but that's just a reputation. Character is something altogether different. But family... Thank God for your kids, your husbands and wives, and, and your mom and dad. Perfect or not, family is something that should not be for sale in our life. God, I should have put him first. Pardon me, Lord Jesus. God, family, church, truth should not be for sale. Oh, but I had, I had a preacher tell me a long time ago, if you would just back off this Acts 2.38 stuff, you'd fill the house up. I'm like, and where would it put me in the presence of God? i got to stand before him one day. And if I'll let you buy me away from truth, then there'll be somebody else coming in that crowd that will control the pulpit. No way. What's more valuable? Your possessions or the Holy Ghost? What's more worth to you? What's, what carries greater worth to you? Your membership at the gym or your membership at the church? What's more valuable to you? I mean, your Bible or your television? There's some things that should never be exposed to bartering, trading, or doing away with. That's character. One or two generations go by, Brother Joe, and you know what? They don't know any difference now. 
I tell these young guys about the memories of Four Corners and picking potatoes with my mom out there. And they go, hey, it's, it's like you're talking French to them. Don't sell. Don't sell. Don't sell. Don't sell. So here's where I wanted to get with you today. Ahab is a smart man. He's evil. He's wicked. He's controlled by the ring in his ear. And all she has to do is just pull on it. And he's a little puppet. Ahab can't even afford to have a good personal day because his wife wants him to be in the same mood she's in. I know people like that. And Ahab wants more than just to expand his borders. I'd like to have your lot of land there, buddy. Since it so conveniently borders mine, I have a plan. I'll either swap with you something better, or I'll just cash you out. And, a and Naboth, who was of the tribe of Issachar, Issachar, according to 1 Chronicles 7, I think 2 through 5 or 2 and 5, whatever I told you to do, sons of Tola, Uzai, all these names here that are hard to pronounce, all right? Heads of their father's house to wit of Tola, they were valiant men of might in their generations, whose number was in the days of David, 22,600. Let's go through those, please, and then I'll move. And the sons of Uzai, all of that, he says, Michael, Obadiah, Joel, Isaiah, all of them chief men. Remember, mighty and chief men. And with them by their generation after the house of their fathers were bands of soldiers for war. Mighty men, chief men, soldiers that would fight. Verse 5. And their brethren among all the families of Issachar were valiant men of might. This is Naboth's pedigree. That's his heritage. He was raised by fighting people, not take issue with everything you do and fight you, but standing for something, people. We love God, we love truth, and we're not going to compromise. They, they had a backbone to them. They had a contentious way, but not in an evil application. They were contentious when you got on issues you had no business being on. Don't mess with my family. Don't mess with my God. Don't mess with my church. Don't mess with my Bible. Don't mess with my walk with God. And Naboth came from this cut of men. So what did Ahab want besides the plot of land? He wanted to strip Naboth of his character. Everything that had been put into his father's generation, his grandfather's generation, his great-grandfather was in Naboth, and it was apparent. Sorry, not for sale, but i got to have it. Just name the price. I want it. I personally believe it's acceptable to apply this in the natural to the fact that Ahab just wanted to grow his lot of land. But in the spiritual, I'm, I'm without any doubt in my mind, Brother Michael Berge, to say that he wanted something living inside of Naboth to compromise with him. This man was controlled by his wife. This man was controlled by everything wicked and evil there was. One thing if your wife is a righteous person. But Jezebel doesn't live in that category, we know wanted to strip Naboth of his courage, of his generational strength. Just give it to me. Worth, cost, value, price. Jude 3 said that we should earnestly contend, earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Some things you just have to contend for. 
Well, I'm a peacemaker. I respect that. I'm so glad you're a peacemaker. We need all the peacemakers in the world we can get. But remember this. If bringing peace means you have to compromise your values, your worth, is it, is it really worth it? You're not getting the better end of the trade. You always, we always, I always get what I paid for regardless. No matter what route I choose, no matter what direction I point my feet, whether it's good or evil, we always get exactly what we pay for. Nobody's shouting today, but that's all right. I feel an angel of God just walking around with me up here. Not trying to be spiritual. I, I just know I'm in the will of God. No matter what price I pay, I'm going to get the return of value. If I do it for the right, though, if I do it because, not just to be stubborn, but because I know what the enemy's going to do. But the Larry, if I just compromise once, if I just tell someone, so you're... you're I don't know how many funerals in this house I've preached numerous. 31 and a half years, you've done a lot of them. And, and I, don't, I don't say this at anybody that's deeply rooted in the church because I'm just being honest. But I, I tell you, as many times as I've been allowed liberty at a funeral, I've also, I've also been approached and tried to tie my hands. Please put my, you know, my husband, I know he was in heaven. I know my, I thought, okay. The, the minute you start that with me, puts me on edge, all right? If I'm not your pastor when I dedicate you, I shouldn't be your pastor when I bury you, okay? So let me, let me just trust God. Pray that I make the right decision. But I don't think we have the right to put anybody in heaven or hell, okay? They're in the hands of a just God. I'm just simply saying we cannot compromise. Just because it makes you feel better or they promise to fill the offering plate doesn't mean it's for sale anymore. It is not for sale. It cannot be. I'm not selling. I'm not selling. He's brought us too far. He's been too good to us, Brother Colin. Been too good to us. I was talking to the district board about you the other day. And, and you don't need to know everything, but I, we had a conference in the district board, and I was mentioning them to you. And I know some of your past. And, I, and we were just talking about how unworthy we are to receive the blessing of God. And, and if you'd have been there, you'd understand how I, why I brought you up. It wasn't just random thing there. But thank God he doesn't barter our souls away. There's no... Him and Satan sitting at the table going, I'll give you him if you give me that. He went to Calvary for you, Brother Tostin. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. He does not water it down, compromise it. Hallelujah. Part of that, I, I'll leave you with this, part of all that pressure from the modern church to to become a sideshow, part of that pressure from outside resources to become um, less church-like, more event-like, and less church-like. You know what you should do, congregation of PPC? I respect you so much. If we ever become entertainers, you ought to vote us out of here. Or go follow somebody that still holds to the old line and will not compromise. Thus saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Stand ye in the way and ask for the old paths wherein is the good way. Now I do not believe that being old fashioned means being rude, stuck up, arrogant, cocky. I have friends that have, and you can say, well, they didn't want it anyway. Not, we don't have time to get into that. But I have friends who've been run off by Pentecostals all because they didn't look like them. 
ticked me off. My best friend in the world. I mean, his wife sat right there, not in this church, but another that I was preaching at. I wasn't in a, I wasn't, it wasn't my church. I was preaching in a man's church. And they came to that night. I'd already prayed him through. He got baptized. She came. She's world. What do you expect, people? You know what? If we don't have a representation of the world in our church, we're not doing our job. We're not bringing visitors. We're not reaching the lost. So if everybody has to look like us, just lock the doors. What's the point of being here? So... There they sat, Brother Tossin, the front row. She'd never been in Pentecostal before in her life. Grown folks. Right there. Young person in the church nudged down beside her and began to give her a, a scolding of how she looked in the house of God. Didn't know her. I'm talking about a young person. You know we don't dress like that in church. I'd wring her neck if I could to this day. Forgive me, proverbially speaking, all right? <laughs> Guess what? Last time I ever saw her in church was that night. Not only is she being put on the line, on the spot, she's in the front row. Now she thinks everybody in the congregation is thinking the same things at that disrespectful Gone, soul lost, because no one had enough wisdom. Not, not no one, but that person didn't have enough wisdom to realize, you know, you can't bring them out of the water onto a bed of vegetables and sautéed gravy. Okay, you've got to catch them first. You got to get them in the boat and begin the process of discipleship and working. So I'm not saying by holding to our standards we have to be rigid and. Without wisdom. We have to have wisdom. You just love them from the neck up, man. Don't look nowhere else. Just love them. Just love them. Just care about them. I mean, that's where the Pharisees got their reputation. Better than you. Appreciate this church today. Appreciate your love for God, for souls, for visitors. Visitor, I want you to know this today. You're as welcome as anybody I paraded up into this pulpit today, okay? You're as welcome as anybody that sang on this platform this morning. Visitors, if it's your first time or your tenth time, you're as welcome as the lady that stood behind this keyboard this morning. You're as welcome as that man or that sister. And if, if we have any exhibitions of wit, lack of wisdom like that, you just come up here. I'll put you a chair on this platform, all right? I'll sit you right close to me, and I'll protect you from the lack of wisdom. But I know better. These are good people right here, strong leaders and dedicated to the gospel. I am not selling. And I'm also not selling my love for souls. I'd rather have a house full of rough cobs than ten polished, perfect little. Hallelujah. Just give me the, just give me the plot. We, we, we can come to a deal here. We're grown-ups. We can come to a reasonable judgment. It's 12 o'clock. I didn't start preaching until almost 11.30, so don't get crazy on me here. These guys preached. They did a great job. Just, just just, reason with me. Don't get crazy on me, Naboth. Don't get all the spiritual stuff going on. Just reason with me. You, you give a little, I'll give a little. That shouldn't apply concerning your walk with God. You'll only grow when you become to the point of it's everything about Jesus, nothing about me. Nothing about me. I won't sell. Love you, Lord God, today. Your mercy endures forever. Your understanding, God, your counsel, your instructions in our life, what you're doing, where you're leading us, the effort you put into each and every sheep, God, we are humbled by it. We're greatly humbled by it. What is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that you would visit him? 
Oh, God, that you would leave the 90 and 9 and go for the 1. We're so humbled, God, and we're blessed. We're blessed. I ask you, Lord, today to stir up the value system of my brother and sister. If it's not where it needs to be, I say respectfully, God, stir up the system of worth in their mind and in their soul. If they can take or leave church, take or leave the word, take or leave the house of God, I'm asking you, Lord, to just do surgery on their mind. Do a surgical work, God, in the spirit and their thought patterns. Work on them, God, today. Work on them, God, this morning. Let us leave here better than we came. We know, we know that in Jesus all things are possible. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm not selling. I'm not selling. I'm not selling. I love you, Lord. God, you are so good. Would you lift up your voices in praise to him? You, together, as one, one chorus of voices, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus.